This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. We've been having a great synod. This is our last night. And, you know, I, I, I saw something in the spirit, and I, I, and I, I believe it's going to be wonderful. And Before we worship some more and before we uh, prophesy, we're going to have some prophecies tonight. And I saw a way to do some of this. A uh, way for God to speak into some of your lives. And I want you to show, I'm going to model to you how really simple it is, how supernatural, supernaturally natural it is. And uh, so uh, I want you to just open your hearts. Before we do that, I'd like you to open your Bibles. Uh, I started the message this morning, and, you know, I just feel there's some things I want to share with you, uh, just in the Word to frame this tonight, okay? And uh, in chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah, uh, it records the response of a people who had rediscovered the Word of God. Then they misunderstood it, and they responded exactly backward to it. And then they received help from Nehemiah toward a God-intended response. Once again, the record of their experience can help you and I in our lives today. So my goal is, and what I'd like to do is to do my utmost to ensure that you know how to keep on receiving the Word of God. You know, many people don't really understand how to receive the Word of God. Now, I don't mean how to read it or how to memorize it or how to study it. And I think all those things are really, really important. But my primary concern is that your input and application of the Word uh, has a life-giving breath of God, uh, the very spirit of the word, uh, that it will continually fill your soul on a continual basis. Uh, it's the only way to keep the rebuilt walls up and expanding. You see, when God begins to rebuild you, rebuild your walls, and begins to put gates on you, the only way to keep them in place is with the life-giving breath of the word of God. And that happens in two ways. It happens by the word, but it also is the word that comes out of your mouth. You know, I heard a prophecy one time. It says, this guy said, my words in your, wow, in your mouth are as powerful as my words in my mouth. That's a powerful word. Can you imagine that God's word in your mouth is as powerful as his word in his own mouth? That's why he created human beings with the ability to quote the Bible. I promise you, I've never heard a dog quote a scripture yet. Even as smart as dolphins are, they're not quoting the word of God. The only creature on earth that can speak God's word is you and I. And the devil does everything to keep us from speaking life and the word of God to one another. To keep us from prophesying what God says. The Word of God is not simply information. It's not facts. It's not theology. It is all those things, but it's not simply that. It is a living Word. And it is life-giving, healing, protecting, and invincible. The Word of God is invincible. And you need to know how to let the Word of God sink down inside of you. You know, many people don't take time to meditate on the Word. They don't really listen. 
And when the word does strike your heart, we're so busy to tell somebody else, we forget to let it sink down inside of us. I'm so busy putting it out on a Twitter that I forget to let that minister to me. If the word's reality is at work on the inside of you, there's no way you'll ever be less than filled with abundant life. There's no way you can be less than filled with fruitful living. In fact, just look at the scripture. 2 Peter 1, verse 4, and then verse 8. Go ahead and put that scripture up. 2 Peter 1, verse 4 says, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world caused by evil desires. You and I are supposed to participate in the divine nature. What is the divine nature? What is our participation in divine nature? What is it that makes God divine? God spoke and it came to being. God speaks. He says, my word that goes forth out of my mouth shall not return void. It shall accomplish the purpose whereunto I said it. What makes us divine? Our ability to speak. Our ability to speak. Tonight, that's what prophecy is. It's your ability to speak blessing. To speak blessing. You know, one of the most powerful things in the scriptures, go ahead, let's worship him. Father, it's seven o'clock. We worship you. Seven times a day, we make a choice to lift our hands wherever we're at and declare your goodness, your grace, your mercy. We will speak it wherever we go in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I forgot where I was at. Anyway, put that verse back up there because verse eight is just as powerful. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, one of the things I wanna encourage you is that wherever you go, you get the choice to speak blessing or curse. And I'm shocked at how many Christians I hear speak curse all the time. They speak curses all the time. They speak how bad the country is, how bad. No, it's not wrong to admit that, hey, listen, we have real problems in our country. We have some very serious issues that we have to deal with. This is not right. But to slander, to mock To gossip are destroying you. But you know what you can do when you see a problem? You can begin to speak the solution, which is God's word, over that problem. You can begin to speak life into the situation instead of curse and slander and, you know, our, our president's an idiot. No. Father, we declare that you will turn his heart or remove him. No, that's in the Bible. God says he will remove the, the wicked if they're wicked. When they do wicked things, he'll remove them. But he'll preserve them. The Bible says pray for your president. Pray for those in authority. But it also says we can speak God's word in those situations. Amen? You know, when we read the, the, the stories of uh, Nehemiah, uh, there was another contemporary of his called Ezra. And Ezra uh, was 
there at the same time and, and uh, preliminary to the dedication of the completed walls, Nehemiah enlisted the help of this priest, Ezra, to present the word of God to all the people. And uh, if you'll read through there, you can. But there was a two-day event that was scheduled, and there was kind of a logistical arrangement that were made, including a pulpit. That the first time we see a wooden pulpit that they stood behind, a platform that they spoke on, from which the readers and teachers could more easily be seen by everyone. And it says that Ezra's name, which always means aid, or which is also interpreted helper, it's almost the same as helper. I love this. Ezra gives aid. He comes to your aid. He's the helper. This is another picture of what's going on in Jerusalem, what's going on in your life. God has somebody to give you some aid. He has a helper. And his job is to lead the people to the word of God and to help them understand it. Now, this is very much what the Holy Spirit does for us today. We have his help as the Jews has at Ezra's help. We also have his bracing comfort as the Jews had the encouragement of Nehemiah. And his name means comforter. Comforter. It's another name for the Holy Spirit. So here we see this spiritual activity. Nehemiah comes in person and he speaks these words of comfort. He speaks direction. He speaks to the people. He says, this is what God's saying to you. Ezra speaks from the Word of God, and he says, listen, this is what the Word of God says. And he stands for two days, and he reads the Scriptures. I love this. See, in those days, the people didn't have their own Bibles. Bibles would have been handwritten scrolls. And not only did most of the people not have such a scroll, but they couldn't read anyway. Most people couldn't read back then. In fact, the scrolls of the law were so rare that even among the priests, they would share one scroll between them for many years and read it. Some of them had never been exposed to the law. They'd never seen a scroll. Now, that's hard for you and I to, to even consider. I mean, you know, I'm ashamed of it, but I must have 50 Bibles. I just collect Bibles, and I read them, and then I get different versions, and I have, you know, a Bible by my bed, a Bible by my lounge, a Bible three in my office, and different, it, it's almost sinful. But back then, they didn't even have the Word of God. The Word of God was scarce. And so here, you have to understand what's happening. They're in Jerusalem, and the people are thrilled to be hearing this reading. The Bible says that they stood riveted to every word of the law. They worshiped and gave thanks, lifting up their hands in praise. And they remained standing together for several hours, just listening to the reading. See, the whole scene is one of gratitude. The whole scene is one of reverence for the word of God. And you know, I want you to learn to have that reverence for the word of God. Adding to it was all the careful explanation given by those who gave the sense of what had been clearly read from the law, helping the people to understand its meaning. Then an amazing thing happened. What began so joyously, so happily, 
suddenly reversed. People began to weep mournfully. It always shocks me when we have these joyous times of praise and worship. The power of God hits our congregation and the peace of God settles so strongly and all of a sudden in Africa we somehow shift from joy and happiness and have you ever got real quiet in church? We can't just enjoy that. Somebody has to go Now, I'm not mad at you if you do that. I just believe that's anguish of heart or you just don't know what to do when things get quiet. But the Bible says they began to weep mournfully. So we just practice that? Let's all practice that. I think you, you know, I, I, think you, I think sometimes that's part of the culture, you know. I've been to funerals before. And see people walking up to the house, and they hit the gate. Ah! <laughs> I mean, one time I'm, I'm telling you, one time I'm, I'm going to the funeral, and I go in, and I see this lady. She's tapping away, dee, 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 dee. and I go in in front of her, and the next thing she's behind me, and ah! I, I, I mean, I'm like. I'm not saying it wasn't real. I nearly went to the same place for a different reason. <laughs> but here's what I'm going to say. Apparently they heard the words of the law. They were overwhelmed by recognition of their own violations and their own inadequacies to fulfill the commandments. The situation was one I think most churches would probably revel in. Repentance, a sensitive response to an, an awareness to God's commands that they'd neglected God. But here was the obvious fruit of an awakened understanding and an impassioned concern. Or was it? Maybe it wasn't. Amazingly, Nehemiah and Ezra stopped the demonstration of grief. They said, stop it. And they spoke correction to the people, insisting. They said, since this is a holy day, mourning and weeping are inappropriate. It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling to me. Here's a total reversal of what you would expect to see. Then, as though stopping tears of repentance weren't enough, the two leaders began to stir the people towards celebration. Listen to what they say in Nehemiah 8.10. Go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. Send portions to those for whom nothing has been prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Wow. What he's saying is it's party time. It's time to rejoice. Have joy. It's time to celebrate. And so the people shifted their mood. They shifted their response. Can I tell you something? You are in charge of your response. You're in charge of what you respond to. You respond. You know, some people say, oh, the Holy Ghost took No, the Holy Ghost didn't take over. You did that. 
Come on. Hallelujah. The people shifted their mood. They shifted their response. And as it turned out, they progressed to a full-scale, week-long observance of a feast that we know as the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. Guess where we're at on the calendar of the Hebrew calendar. We've just had the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and guess what's coming up? You guessed it. It's Feast of Tabernacles. This is a time of celebration. This is a time of harvest. I want tonight to preempt it and say we're going to celebrate tonight. Amen? Hallelujah. So what, do we, what, what should we think of this? You'll, you'll find out if you read Nehemiah, the following chapter is dedicated entirely to the record of the prophet's and the people's confession of their sins. They have fasting. They manifest this repentance. The Holy Spirit wanted the people to receive his word as blessing, as nourishment, and as joy-filled encouragement, but not as a source of mourning. See, it's right to confess our sins. We need to confess our sins. But we can't allow ourselves to sink down into condemnation. Or confusion. Confusion about the confession of sins is what brings condemnation. God doesn't want us to be confused. And condemnation comes to those who don't understand the liberating truth of God's word. Listen to what 1 John 1, 7 and 9 says. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, I think there's a place to confess our sins. It's good for us to step into the light. Tonight, I want you to step into the light. But I also want you to let the Word of God sink down. I want you to let the presence of God sink down into your spirit. The light and the warmth of God's Word and the fellowship of Jesus' own presence is with us. And it's going to point to the stains and the sins in our lives. And those things are the things that can soil us and can restrict our growth and can hinder us from his life and his love. And he wants them to be washed away. He wants his grace to wash through your life. And he wants to take us to the cross and release us. But not into condemnation, but into an ongoing grace and advance towards all he has for us. So let's learn the balance. Do invite the Holy Spirit's purification. And this, there's, a, there's a way that we do it. We sing the song, and it's in this verse right here, Psalm 139. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. See, that's exposing yourself to the light. Say, God, I, 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 just search me and know my heart. Try me or test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked 
way in me. I don't like this word offensive. Because the, the, the word is wicker, wicked. See if there's a wicked way in me. And lead me in your everlasting way. Lead me. See, God's, that's, that's the response that God's looking for. That was David's song. David said this. And there's, there's a fine balance there between I'm not condemned, but at the same time, expose my wickedness. I, I want this to be shown. In praying that way, we make no mistake concerning the word wicked. It jumps out at us. Some may miss the promise and the hope it's pointing toward. If sin is present, you have to remember something. We have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. 1 John 2, 1. And it's unto Jesus, who stands before the Father on our behalf, that the Holy Spirit wants us to bring us. He wants to bring us to His presence. He wants us to bring us boldly before the throne of grace that we might find help to overcome this sin, help in our time of need. He corrects or he convicts us of anything that is twisted, deceived, or distorted. That's what wicked means. Twisted, deceived, or distorted. His objective? Never to condemn, but always to lead the cleansing deliverance and liberty. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. That the righteousness requirement, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So let me just take one more minute before we move into worship and prophecy. I want us to live or relive the book of Nehemiah. Right after the weeping stops, the rejoicing begins. They begin to rejoice. And here we find one of the most encouraging sentences in all of the Bible. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, we can begin rejoicing tonight. We can begin rejoicing knowing that the promised power in his commandments, the same word that rebukes us will also release us. The law that guides us will also fuel our souls for dynamic life and living. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, He who calls you is faithful. He will also do it. What a promise. God gives an assignment to us. He calls us and then he enables us. He who calls you is faithful. And who will do it? Who will do it? Who? Who's the author and perfecter of your faith? 
He who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. I want you to understand something. Sometimes you take too much upon yourself. Another way to translate this verse, or no, another verse in, in, in Luke 137 in the Amplified Bible, it says, no word of God shall be without power. For with God, nothing will be impossible. It's another way of saying it. But I like that first one. For no word of God will be without power. Tonight, we're going to allow what I've spoken tonight, the word of God, but also the word of God through prophecy. No word of God is without power. No word of God is without power. The word that you carry on the inside of you is full of power. Some of you are afraid to release the word of God. And when you do, you're so sheepish about it. Or you become crazy. Yay, yay, yeah. Thus saith the Lord. No, 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 no. Let me give you some rules on how to prophesy. When you speak to someone, don't act like you're King Kong. Don't act like you're the spiritual giant that all of a sudden, no, you're one of us. You're just like me and you. We're just all here together. Be humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. But when you speak a word of prophecy, rather than say, thus saith the Lord, that sounds really powerful. It makes you look really big. And it takes all responsibility away from you. What if it isn't the Lord? What if it's just you had too much pizza? <laughs> or what if it's you that just sucked something out of the air and you just said it and it, you heard somebody else say it a few years ago and it sounds good tonight? Come on, let's be honest. Some of you do that, right? How many of you have ever done that? Everybody raise your hand. How many of you have... I listen, listen, I, I listen to some of you. You're so cliche. You haven't had an original idea since you came to church. Just quote T.D. Jakes or whoever you listen to. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Blah, 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 blah. Hey. Time for you to listen and let God quicken his word to you. Let God quicken an idea to you. He says, I've given you something that I give to no other creature on the planet. I give you an imagination. He says, if you can imagine it. See, did you know that's a gift from God? He'll do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. Or imagine. So sometimes prophecy comes through the quickening of a picture, a dream, an idea, or a thought, or a word. And you know, when it's a prophecy or a word of knowledge, here's what I learned about word of knowledge a long time ago. I've never had the whole story for anybody. I get one word usually. I get, or I, I see a light on somebody. I think, oh no, now what? I just follow the light. I said, come here. I said, you know, I, I saw the Spirit of God resting on you. And then as I begin to make the move towards it, my faith is activated. The rest begins to come. It's scary sometimes. It's like, oh, I'm going to be an idiot. Oh, my God. I don't know what to say. Guess what? God always shows up, but he needs faith. He needs you to act first.
I stood before someone tonight, today. And as I stood up to them, I saw a picture. I saw roots. I just saw a picture. I saw roots going down on the ground. I thought, oh, okay. What do you do with that? Oh, I see roots going down on the ground. Okay. That was a weird thought. No, that's not a weird thought. That's a God thought. So as I began to pursue it, as I began to follow it, I said, oh, and I said, you know, I saw roots going down and then, whoo, out of my belly began to flow a river of living water. I began to prophesy over this person and it began to get really clear really fast and I could, and, and, and I could see the anointing coming out on him and, and, I, and, and I was just obedient to the original little thought. See, some of you don't speak because you want the whole picture. Well, if I don't know everything to say, that's pride. See, God says my word is a lamp under your feet, a light, on, a light under your path. You know, those lamps on your feet that they, that they used to walk with would give you enough just for the next step. That's all God wants you to do is just take the next step. He, he wants you to begin to exercise faith. It takes faith to prophesy. It takes faith to encourage somebody. It takes faith to be a prophetic people. Are you listening to me? So, and, and you know, sometimes you don't have to, it, it, sometimes, it, it, sometimes it's just really just the word of God bubbles up on the inside of you. I've had that happen to me. All of a sudden, a scripture, boom, it hits me in my spirit. And I'll say, thus saith the Lord. Because it is the Lord. This is what the word of God says. God's word says this to you. But then off of the word of God, I'll often say, and I perceive, I perceive. See, I take responsibility. If I give you a wrong word, I don't want you to blame God. Oh, the man of God. No, no, I... This is how, this is as far as I see. And I see through a glass darkly. I don't see 100% clearly. I may not see 100% clearly. But what I'm seeing, and at the end of it, I may even ask you, hey, did that mean anything to you? Does it mean anything to you? And you'll say, oh, how did you know? I'm always as shocked as you are. I think, whew, I got off the hook again. <laughs> but I'm about 99% accurate. And the 1% I'm not, I'm, I'm saying, hey, you know what? <laughs> I'm sorry, man. If it didn't mean anything, just put it away. I, you know, because I may have missed it. I'm, 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 I'm flesh and blood just like you. And, and I'm not calling myself a prophet. I'm just saying that I'm prophetic. I'm trying to be prophetic. I'm trying to bring a word of encouragement. Is that okay? See, sometimes we get so spooky that then it becomes weird. And it's like, I really don't want you to speak to me because... You know, it gets funky. It's like, yuck. This doesn't even smell good. <sighs> Every word that God speaks contains power. It contains the power, enough power to actuate, to actuate what was spoken. Every word of his that directs our behavior, anytime he convicts you of sin, anytime he touches your behavior, makes possible a new behavior. This is why Paul assures the Philippians, in Philippians 2.13, he says, it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now this is truly a reason for joy. If God's working in me to do his good 
pleasure, that should build joy in me. It builds our repentance upon a foundation of deep, trusting faith rather than upon guilt and emotionalism. See, some of you, you get convicted and you think, oh, God hates me. You should go the other way and say, God, I know that if you convict me, it's your will and that you're doing it for your good pleasure to bring me to a place that I can restore these walls. I can restore these gates. I can become all that you wanted me to be. I thank you that you don't leave me, that you chastise those that you love, that you are correcting me, that you're guiding me. Search me, oh God. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Try me. Test me. Lead me into your everlasting way. See the hope in all that? Hallelujah. The godly repentance that we see in the book of Nehemiah following the Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to have joy tonight. And, and rejoicing. They, they, had, they, had, they had a feast and rejoicing. But the fasting is what encouraged the leaders. They said, oh, or not the fasting, the, the repentance is what encouraged leaders. You know, when I see somebody really dealing with the issues of their heart, you know, sometimes our men get to a place where they're in these majoring in men things and they start dealing with the real issues of their heart. And, you know, nothing pleases a pastor more than to see a man say, hey, you know, I, I got to deal with this. And he breaks under the, not, not the condemnation. You're not in a boot camp. We're not here to judge you. We're here to say, oh, God, thank you. God, thank you. You're taking care of this guy. He's coming out of that and he's being set free. It's hard. It's painful. But you know what? That kind of a response is what verifies the joyous response to God's word. It's not to bring us into adversity, but to complement the repentance. Joy and repentance go together. Let me just close with this thought. You know, in the parable of the sower, Jesus often speaks of those who hear the word and they receive it with joy. Then it goes on to say, but because they don't let it take root in themselves, it doesn't bear fruit. You know, the fact that he described these cases or as, as cases that have shallowness of soul that brought no abiding fruit in their lives doesn't imply that receiving the word with joy was at fault, but that the lack of depth in abiding is the problem. In other words, depth and joyousness can go together. You can have depth and joy. The only problem is that you can receive the word with joy and be so shallow that you don't let anything happen. Tonight, let the word of God sink deep into your hearts. Let's let these words, let's let the presence of God wash us. So what I want to do is I want us to take a minute here and, and before we prophesy, before we start speaking the word, I want us to just come before God without any agenda other than to be joyous, to worship Him. No, we're not asking you for nothing, God. We just are so thankful to be here. We love you. We love you.
Search us, O God, and know our heart. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.